Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill, and I am your host. Our quote today is by Mark Zuckerberg. Nothing influences people more than a recommendation from a trusted friend. Today, we have an outstanding guest. His name is Michael Roderick, and he is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messaging memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. He is also the host of the podcast, Access to Anyone, which shows how you can get to know anyone you want in business and in life using time-tested relationship-building principles. Michael's unique methodology comes from his own experience of going from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. Okay, Michael, we have to start with that one, but first of all, <laughs> welcome. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm very, very excited to be here, Heather, and uh, very excited to get a chance to dig in. Well, we have to start. I want to know how on earth did you go from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer? And then you can <laughs> add in in two years, but just doing it at all, I guess. But go ahead. Tell us the story. Sure, sure. Uh, so so basically, the thing that I learned about Broadway uh, was that most people are focused on the idea of credit. So most producers will actually go to other producers and say, I'll raise this amount of money for you if you will put my name on the show. And there's always, you know, a financial, you know, piece of it, uh, you know, involved as well. But usually the driver is, can I get my name above the title or below the title on a particular, on a particular production? Mm -hmm. So when I learned this, I uh, decided to actually go to other producers and say, you know what, I'm actually not interested in having my name on anything. I just want uh, to get better at raising money. So what ended up happening was a lot of producers gave me shows to raise money on because I wasn't looking to be on the show like a lot of my colleagues were. And as a result, I then had this base of shows that ended up kind of being like a portfolio. So if I went to investors, I could say, oh, well, if you're not interested in this show, here's four others that you could potentially potentially invest in. So I was able to raise money a lot faster uh -huh. uh, and I was able to work on a lot more shows in a shorter period of time. So as a result, word got around that I was able to do that. And I got offered my first Broadway credit opportunity where somebody came to me and said, I want you to have credit on this show uh, in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, I would say two years is a pretty short period of time. <laughs> that is impressive. But you know what is really interesting about it is it cuts to the heart of something that is completely transferable. What you did was you figured out what the market wanted, and that was the credit, and you worked with that, right? So you mm -hmm. asked questions, you did your research, you figured it out, and then you gave them what they wanted. This is perfect. I love it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So speaking of, I, you know, one of the things that is in your bio here is the word referable, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know that you work with a referable brand. So I'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, what that is and, and why it might be important for our listeners. 
Sure, sure. So, so basically, for a very, very long time, we were always taught that differentiation was the thing that would really make us successful from a business standpoint. And to this day, there's still a lot of messaging out there that's around the idea of if you stand out from the competition, then that's why uh, you do really well. But over the years, what's happened is so many people, especially in the marketing world, have started to teach people about how to be different, that everyone's different is now starting to sound the same. So the question then becomes, what is it that still cuts through the noise? And what cuts through the noise is referability. It's will people talk about you and your ideas when you're not in the room in a good way? So what I've started to do is I've started to look at what are those main principles behind helping somebody take their ideas and make them easily referable, helping them create a referable brand. Now, are you going to make me beg you? Come on. Can you share it? Can you share at least one of them? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm more than happy to share. I'm more than happy to share, share the three. Oh, thank uh, main, you. Yeah. The main, uh, the main principles. Uh, so it's easy to remember because it spells the word aim. So you want to think about the idea of taking aim when you're thinking about this referable brand concept. Uh -huh. And the first is accessibility. So most of the time, the challenge that we have is that we fall, fall into what I like to refer to as the echo chamber of the enlightened. We're around a lot of people who are using a lot of the same words. So we start to think that everybody understands those words and everybody knows what our industry knows. But then we go outside of our industry and we talk to somebody who isn't part of that circle and they have no idea what we're talking about. So the first hurdle that people have in terms of being referable, having people being willing to talk about your idea or your concept is they first have to be able to understand it. Yeah. And a, a lot of the time there is that disconnect between people being able to understand what it is that you're actually doing, what it is that you're actually putting out into the world. So that's the first one is accessibility. And there's lots of ways that you can sort of dig into that. And there's lots of uh, different elements. But the next one is influence. And for a very, very long time, the way that influence was sort of always explained and, and presented was around the idea of persuasion, right? The idea that if I can get you to do something, then I have influence. But from a lot of what I've seen in terms of just work with clients, as well as a number of the, a number of the brands that I've followed over the years, influence is more about will people do, do things without you asking them to, right? Are they willing to share this without you saying, I want you to share this? And what I realized was that the reason why people do that is because of how it makes them look. Right. So a lot of time we're focused on this idea of how cool uh, can, can I be and how interesting can I be? And what we want to do with our content and our ideas is say, how cool will this make somebody else look ah, yeah. if they were to share it? And there's that slight shift, but it's very, very powerful when it comes to people actually sharing and talking uh, about your ideas. And that leads right into the last piece, which is memory. And the challenge that a lot of us have is that we spend all of our time trying to figure out the best way to tell the story. And we don't focus nearly enough time on how people will retell the story. So what memory devices are we going to build in to our material 
so that it's way more likely that people will keep that piece of mental real estate in their mind about whatever it is that we talked about and actually share it with someone else. And the easier we make it to remember, the less challenges and issues people are going to have with actually sharing the content. Because if I started with this and I said, yeah, you know, the referable brands, you have to come up with these, here's the 50 points of how to create a referable brand. And I just kind of started listing them off. Then for the most part, everybody would be done by probably point number two, right? But because I said it's accessibility, influence and memory, and I sort of broke each of those down in a very succinct way, for many people, it would be much easier to share this idea with somebody else because it's easy to remember and it's easy to structure and you can just sort of pass it along. Oh my gosh, there's so much I love about this this whole AIM concept. It's it's absolutely brilliant. And I will share with you a couple of things of how I've done it poorly, as well as a recent one that I saw someone else that could really use this concept. So I plan on sending them this podcast as, <laughs> as soon as we finish. So um, yeah, so that, that first one, in accessibility, I find this all day long. You know, Mm -hmm. so many people are using, you know, these terms that they get some, some people call it coach speak, or you're doing coach speak, or Mm -hmm. uh, I just said this to someone where it's like, you know, I, I think that what you're using here is something that speaks to you, but will it speak to them? Right. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is really, really important. And the influencing one is just such a beautiful shift. And it's and it's almost such a minor shift that could make a major impact. But Mm. the one that I mess up on the most, I think, is the third one, because I, I, you know, and I just said this recently, not maybe it was last week, where this other person who does something similar to what I do, like, it's just so simple, right? I'm saying mm-hmm. this about this. Oh, it's just so simple. And that's why everybody loves it. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's just so simple because people can remember it and it's easy to share. And I think I tend to overcomplicate things. So I've already learned it. Okay, that's enough. We got to go moving. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I learned enough right now already. But let's dive a little bit deeper for some of our listeners here. And I just want to share something that impresses me tremendously that you write a daily email. <laughs> now, I mean, I'm sorry, but I I do the weekly podcast and still at times think, whew, that's a lot with everything else that I'm doing, right? Sure. So how do you manage to do this daily email consistently? And are there any tips that you have for people who want to do a consistent messaging? Sure. Uh, So uh, the first thing I'll say is that consistency is something that is really, really important to focus on because consistency is one of the main builders of trust. So if people know that you are going to show up on a regular basis, and that doesn't necessarily mean for some people that is, you know, I write daily, but for other people that's they write three times a week or they write once a week or they produce a podcast once a week, you know, those types of things. But people know that they can rely on that thing to come out at a, on, a, on a regular basis. And that builds trust yeah. with your audience. So I think it's really, really important to understand that whatever it is that you decide to do, 
you want to make sure that there is a conscious choice at the very beginning of how that's going to be distributed so that you can remain consistent. The worst thing that you can do with content is to, uh, you know, do it one week and then not do it three for three weeks and then do another one five weeks later and, you know, all of this back and forth because people, it will actually deteriorate the trust that your audience has with you. Yeah. I, you know, go ahead. I I just want to just point out how incredibly important this is and, and that, you know, years ago when I did start it, I did that. And you're so right. The consistency has made all the difference and people wanting to listen and and share it with people. Yep. Yeah. And it, and it ultimately just comes down to the fact that when we can rely on something, we feel closer to it. We feel more like we can trust it. Yes. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. the second that something becomes unreliable, we start to wonder, is it going to be unreliable in the future? Yes. And the second that we start to wonder that, we're going to look for a more reliable solution. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, really important thing for people to just be considering uh, as you're, you know, as you're thinking about, as you're thinking about your work, but going back to the question about sort of how do you put out uh, this, this material and put it out on a regular basis, uh, I get this question a lot about uh, this aspect of writing every day. And the main principle that I bring up is I give myself permission to suck. <laughs> and, 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 you know, to be perfectly honest, there is absolutely no way to be brilliant and consistent. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You're going to have, you're going to have moments that are really good. You're going to have moments that are going to be okay. And you're going to have moments that uh, things that you put out there that are not good. Uh, and that frankly suck that are just not, you know, that, that don't really work. But the important thing about that is your audience is giving you feedback on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. if you put something out there, you may feel like it sucks. Like you may feel like it's the worst thing ever. Or you may feel like, man, I, I can't even believe I'm, I'm hitting send on this thing. <laughs> and you may have a bunch of people tell you that that was what, exactly what they needed to hear at that moment ah. and was so, so useful. And then you may spend a long time on something, feel like it's your masterpiece, hit send, and it'll be crickets. And you won't actually hear from people or hear anything. So if you put yourself into this place of, you know, I just, I give myself permission to suck, then you don't worry about the response. You know, there's, there's the whole idea of, uh, you know, give without expectation of return. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I subscribe to the idea of write without the expectation of response. If you write without the expectation of response as a, as a content creator, then you just, you've freed yourself from all of the agony that most content creators go through, which is what will people think of this? Uh, I absolutely love this because, you know, and and when you're, I can see how it 100% applies to consistent writing, but it also applies sometimes when you have like writer's block, if you're writing a book or or an article Mm -hmm. or something like that to just write through it. Yep. So it applies yeah. there too. So, you know, you have to get through the sucky stuff <laughs> yeah. for the inspiration to come back. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no. And you are 100% correct. Like it's that aspect of sometimes you've got to write all of these things that don't necessarily fit or don't necessarily make sense yet, or don't feel good, you know, yet 
in order to find the things that are actually working. And again, you don't know until you put it out into the market. And there will be times where there will be something that you just completely dismiss that you don't think is that interesting or feels very common to you, but people see it and they say, wow, write more about that or tell Mm -hmm. me more about that. And you just, you would never have known had you not decided to put that information out there. Yeah. And that's the judgment part, you know, when we can release the judgment in general, and I, and I love that you will get back a great response to something that you weren't enamored with because it's, it's really understanding more what your end user, what your customer, what your people want and need. And that constant feedback is a really important part of it. So that is, that's really good. I love that. All right. I have a burning question. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not that this is anything that keeps me up at night or anything, but why do some people get so much attention while others don't get anything or remain kind of obscure? Sure. So most of the time, the people who are really, really good at doing the work that they do Mm -hmm. are obsessed with doing that work for other people. Right. So if, if somebody is a really good coach, they're a really big, good consultant, whatever the scenario is, they focus all of their time and their energy on just doing the absolute best work uh, for their clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they continuously deprioritize the packaging of their own intellectual property. So every time that they sort of dive into the, you know, the, the rabbit hole of working with these, you know, working with these clients and doing more work for the, you know, for the people uh, that they're working with and making the, you know, building the relationships that they're building, they, they move further and further away from doing the talk that shares their ideas or writing the book that they want to write about their, about their frameworks and about their concepts, or even just sitting down and saying like, what is my actual process? And as a result, those people remain completely in the shadows because they're just doing all of that work and never saying to a larger audience, here are my ideas. Here's why this work has worked for my clients. Here's the things I want to share with you. And the people who take the time to actually package that intellectual property, come up with their own frameworks, their own ways of breaking things down and start putting that information out there. Those are the ones who end up getting all the attention Mm. because people are then going out and talking about that person's framework and that person's ideas, and that person's concepts, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the crazy thing about it is that very, very often, the people who are doing extraordinary work have become subpar at marketing themselves. Yeah, there's a direct the correlation. People, mm-hmm. Exactly, and the people who are subpar at the actual work Mm-hmm. can be extraordinary at their marketing. Yeah. So you'll have these people who end up becoming the, the top players in a particular industry. And in some cases, they haven't actually done 
the 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 amount of work that other people have done in that industry they haven't gone through the rigor they haven't you know uh they may not be as successful with their clients but they have managed to package themselves in such a way that people say wow your ideas are so great and they get all the attention as a result of it uh yes this makes it all so clear now <laughs> so so you need to be the the brilliant one who loves what you do who also knows how to market <laughs> yeah yeah yep yeah okay. and and who understands that the work that you're doing for your clients there are all sorts of patterns in that work and patterns are always the precursor for frameworks so when you've done work with a client and you've made them successful in some capacity, you want to ask yourself, okay, what was it that I did? And if it were to apply to other clients, how would I explain it to people without actually working with them? Mm. How would I help them understand how this concept works? Right. And once you do that, it completely changes the way that you're perceived because you're a person who's coming out there as a thought leader and a true thought leader, right? There's lots of, there, there's lots of thought follow the leaders out there, yeah. right? Where, yeah. where basically people are, you know, just sort of rehashing old stuff or, or like putting up inspirational quotes that somebody else has said and like all those different types of things. There's plenty of thought follow the leaders out there. Yeah. But if you want to be a thought leader, that means that you actually have to create leading thoughts. And if you're creating leading thoughts, you have to sit down and say, what do I believe? Like what is part of my, my way of looking at the world? And then you got to put your stake in the ground and say, this is my framework. This is my model. This is the way I think about things. Mm -hmm. And that's what starts to build that intensity. That's where the spotlight starts to come on to you because people listen to that and say, oh, that's such an interesting concept. I'm going to share that with my friends. Mm-hmm. That's where this referability piece starts to come into play. And that's why so many people end up just sort of staying in the shadows because it's hard work to sit down and really flesh out your model. Yeah. really come up with what your frameworks are and the way that you're going to speak to speak to people who are not your clients, right? It's, it's hard work. So there's only a small percentage of people who ever take the time to do it. The, it's so clear. It's so clear now. And, you know, it just strikes me that we keep, and I know that I'm guilty of this too, is that we keep, you know, moving forward, doing the thing every day, doing the thing and not taking that time to stop and and just really thoughtfully spend time in quiet with your stuff, with your content, Mm -hmm. because it will speak to you. And then it will add so much clarity to your messaging. I really appreciate this. This is, this is phenomenal. Now I, I know that you have a, an interesting tennis analogy that has to do with (laughs) failure. So I'd like to hear this one. Yeah, so so I refer to it as the tennis novice versus the tennis pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I often bring this up when people are asking me about the idea of sort of like reaching out to people. Uh, because a lot of the time when you reach out to somebody who you admire, or who you're interested in 
there's that concern that what if they don't respond or there's that concern that they do respond and they're not actually interested in talking to you. And there, there's all these things that kind of get inside of our heads the second that we decide we want to reach uh, out to somebody that we would love to talk to. But this concept applies uh, pretty much to any type of failure that you're ever going to experience. So basically the way it works is this. If a tennis novice misses a shot, the game is over because they're in their own head the rest of the time. They're obsessed with the fact that they missed the shot. They're, they're worried about the fact that the game's gonna end, you know, all, all of these different types of things. And they're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is that the tennis novice is a slave to the product. If they don't get the outcome that they're hoping for, then everything is lost. And you will meet lots of people who decide that one outcome, one outreach, one thing is going to sort of solve everything. And if they don't get that thing, if they fail in that endeavor, then they are utterly, completely crushed. And in some cases, will never try again. Or in some cases, will tell themselves that they weren't good enough or any number of things. Whereas the tennis pro misses a shot and says, okay, I missed a shot. Where did that shot come from? Where was the guy standing on the other side? Where was I standing? And they constantly are learning from each of those particular experiences. And even if they lose the game, they're not worried because they know that there are other games and they know that they're constantly learning. And and the reason why the tennis pro does so well is that as opposed to being a slave to the products, like the tennis novice, the tennis pro is a student of the process. Mm. And when you're a student of the process, you never look at failure as failure. You look at failure as new information. Yeah. So every time something doesn't go right, you don't say, oh my God, that's the end. It's a, you know, you say, okay, what can I learn about that particular experience And how can I readjust in the future? What other experiments can I try? What other things can I sort of test to figure out how this is gonna work or not work and and really look at it from that particular particular angle. So a lot of the time we're gonna have moments where things just do not work out at all, right? Where we just, we have like the full on face plant and it is just a bad, you know, it's just a bad scenario. Yeah. And we have a choice within that moment. Like the, the, the first couple of moments after a failure have the seeds to success with like in them. Mm-hmm. You just have to actually look for them, right? You just have mm-hmm. to take the time to look for them. But most people, when they have that moment of failure, they want to step away from it. They want to hide. They don't want to look at it. But the success is inside those moments afterwards, mm-hmm. looking at the failure and saying what worked, what didn't, where, you know, where could I improve? Like, what are the other options? That's what helps you get past whatever that challenge is, whatever that particular issue is. And it's a very, very subtle mindset shift. Instead of feeling defeated, you feel informed. And you say, like, what is the new, this new information and how can I process it? And what can I do now that I've learned this? 
you have me, you know, this is so, so important listeners. If you, you know, if you could take one thing right now and action it, it is this concept. It can completely transform your life. I, I do believe that the people who get that and are, and are willing to dive into their failure and learn from it and, and adapt and tweak, they are going to just be infinitely more resilient in today's world and always. I love that. So speaking of failure um, and fear, so yeah. have you had any experiences in your life where you were, you know, kind of scared or nervous or something didn't work the way you wanted it? And what did you learn? From sure. sure. I mean, there, there have been so many, right. And I think that, um, you know, it, it was interesting. I was doing, uh, I was doing an interview one time where, where I asked kind of a similar question about sort of past challenges that somebody had had. And they were very much like, no, nope. I'm just like, I've, you know, I've, busted through it all and I was <laughs> yeah. and, and and I just had to laugh because you know it's like we're all we're we're all going to have moments of fear we're all going to have uh, moments where things just do not work and and freak us out and you know all of these different types of things so I'm going to go to what I consider probably one of the best lessons I I ever learned and it informed a lot of uh, the things that I've taught over the years about relationship building, uh, a lot of the things that I've taught about just connecting with people. And it comes down to in the very, very early stages of my business, when I was, uh, I had just left teaching, I was going off on my own to kind of do this consulting thing. Uh, I was still, you know, doing a little bit of producing on the side, but I was starting kind of a coaching, uh, you know, coaching business. Uh, and I was also supplementing a lot of that, um, a lot of that business with a general management business, which in the theater world is basically like you get hired to, to manage a show, mm -hmm. right? You get mm -hmm. hired to kind of run a show is the, is the way that it is the way that it works. And I will never forget there was this, um, there was this person who wanted to hire me for this thing and money was running really, really tight. It was at the point where basically if this deal went through with this person, I paid rent. <laughs> if this deal didn't go through with this person, I didn't pay rent. Yeah. And, uh, sure enough, uh, this was, uh, there was some volatility in the markets during this particular block of time where all of this was going on. And this person was very, very involved in the stock market, which I did, had no idea because I was just working with them on the theater side. I had no idea what was going on sort of in the rest of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So I sit down uh, to a meeting where I think I'm signing a contract for, I think it was like $3,000 or something. Um, and at the time, I think my rent was like 2,500. <laughs> um, and, and I sit down and he proceeds to tell me during that meeting that he's not signing the contracts. He, he's not able to do this. He needs to wait. Uh, and I had to go home. And basically, I remember just like laying on my couch being like, what in the world am I going to do now? And I um, sent a email to a ton of friends, colleagues, people that I had known for a really long time. And I called it self-assessment because uh, mm -hmm. I come from an education background. And I basically just kind of 
unloaded that I had spent so much of my time over the past month giving and helping and serving and solving everybody else's problems uh, that I hadn't really taken care of myself. And that I put everything on this one opportunity and I spent all of my time trying to sort of help and, you know, uh, solve everybody else's problems. And I basically just said like, you know, and now I'm, you know, really in a lot of trouble uh, and, you know, anything helps. So if you have advice, if you have thoughts, if you know somebody who might, you know, (laughs) be able to, you know, hire me, like whatever it is. And it was like the most raw, like, you know, heart, you know, like pour the blood out on the, on the keyboard kind of, you know, kind of email. And I sent it and I remembered, you know, sitting down afterwards and thinking, wow, you know, everybody's going to think I am such a a beggar, a loser, like all the things that come up in your head, right? Mm -hmm. During that. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I just like, suddenly I start getting all these emails back from people, you know, some saying like, hey, um, you know, I had no idea. Let's get go out for coffee. I can talk to you about some business ideas. Let's talk about what you're trying to do, like all these offers to help, right? Like Mm -hmm. all these different, you know, all these different types of things. And then I had one colleague in the theater world and she called me up and she said, I'm going to introduce you in a couple of minutes to another friend. He works in technology. So he's got a lot of money. You should just quote him whatever it is that you need. um, And I can promise you he he will probably pay it. And (laughs) I remember, you know, getting on the call with that guy and, you know, walking him through what I could do. He wanted to do a reading and, and put a reading together. So I quoted him, uh, I think, a $3,500 price to sort of, you know, give myself a little bit of a cushion. Yeah. Uh, and he said yes on the spot. And things, you know, turned around from there. And the, and the lesson that I had learned was that it's so, so easy for us to get caught in you know, what I call the giver's fix, where we, we give and we help and we support others and we do things for others, um, but we never ask for the things that we need. And we end up sort of getting hooked on that oxytocin that we get from the giving, right? That rush that we get from the giving, but just like a drug addict, we don't ever get the things that we need. So we're actually suffering more and more and more. And, and that was the lesson that I learned how important it is to really make sure that in your life, you are balancing the amount of giving that you're doing with asking because you can run yourself absolutely ragged trying to solve everybody else's problems and never paying attention to your own. Uh, this is so powerful. And I, um, I know of my own personal experiences and a lot of other people who, you know, they, they just love to give, I'm a giver and you can get burnout because you don't want to ask. You feel, you know, I, this is so, this speaks to my heart deeply and I'm certain that it will to a a lot of our listeners out there, the giver's fix, huh? Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Caught me again, Mike. Thanks a lot. (laughs) You're killing me. Well, you know, I, w- I am fairly certain that there are quite a few people right now who would love to get to know you a little bit better and to learn some more about where they can find information. And hey, you know, you also made this great offer 
for a referability rater. So could you give a little information how people can reach you, your website or this offer? Yeah, sure. Um, so my website is just smallpondenterprises.com. And uh, if you go there, you can sign up for the daily email. There's a bunch of other, there's a bunch of other content and, and, and material on there. The podcast that I've uh, hosted uh, is called Access to Anyone. That's just access to anyone podcast.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the referability rater, uh, you'll see if you go to that, if you go to that page and you put your, you put your info in, you will get basically a test that you can do to look at your own level of referability. Mm -hmm. So you can see kind of where are you falling down on the accessibility side, the influence side and the memory side, you get a better sort of handle on, uh, on that side of things. And then, you know, aside from that, I'm all over the, the social media world. So, you know, you could reach out to me at the LinkedIn, you could find me on the book of faces. I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. <laughs> um, and, uh, more than happy to, you know, be helpful and, and chat and all that fun stuff. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Michael. And, you know, you've already given us, a tremendous amount of insight and information, but is there any one thing that you would like to make sure people walk away with, like your parting words of wisdom that you want to make sure that they, that they take into themselves? Yeah. That, I mean, there's so many that always bubble up when I get this, when, mm -hmm. I, when I get this question, but I think the one that really stands out is uh, to never underestimate the significance of making other people feel significant. Oh. And I, I really just think like the, the amount of attention that we pay to helping others feel like their ideas, their concepts, their words matter. Mm -hmm. there, there's just a, there's so many challenges with that in today's uh, very, very sort of, hyper me focused kind of world, right? And, and you can just completely transform your relationships. You can completely transform your opportunities by really focusing on that idea of how can I help this other person feel significant? Uh, it's, it's just a very, very powerful thing. It sure is. I knew you'd come up with a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. This has been phenomenal. I'm just so pleased that you were able to come on and share such great insights. Everyone out there listening, if you loved it, please share it. I'm sure you will. And feel free to rate us. We love those as well and always appreciate when you do. So thank you again. And everyone have a fabulous day. Mm -hmm.